Morning, Saints. Uh, I, I think I have met most of you. Um, just in case, uh, my name is uh, Lonnie Ferrero. I, I uh, currently serving at uh, Calvary Chapel of Brownsville, and right here in Brownsville, PA, uh, with uh, Pastor John Thomas. And uh, Pastor Rob uh, called and asked if I could uh, fill in uh, this Sunday. And actually, in two weeks, uh, Lord willing, we'll be back, and, and uh, my wife and I, my wife Heidi, and, uh, and, uh, and be with you again. It's a, joy, uh, it's a joy to be here again. It's always such a blessing to come and, and to see your faces and see uh, all of the things that the Lord has, uh, has done and what the Lord is accomplishing, and his, his work continues. His, his, his work of, of, of sanctification, his work of, of development, it continues. Um, the last time I was here, there was, there was no live worship. And, uh, and, uh, and it, it, each time, I've said this, I say this pretty well every time I come, because every time that the Lord brings us out here, I see uh, something more that the Lord has done and how the, how the, how the work here is just continuing to mature and, and the things that the Lord is doing and uh, individually and collectively in, 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 in the work here at, uh, at Calvary Chapel Cumberland. So praise the Lord for that. Let's turn in our Bibles to uh, Exodus chapter 33. I... Uh, I want to I want to highlight something here this morning, and uh, it was funny. Uh, well, not funny, I suppose, timely. Um, but every every song that we just sang was was perfectly coincided with what the Lord has laid on my heart this morning. I mean, almost exactly. I mean, to to the passage of scripture that we're starting with with the first song. I'm like, well, that all right, Lord, if that's not confirmation, you know, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, but yes, Exodus chapter 33, uh, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna look here at uh, verse, we're going to take it up here and, and verse 12. And uh, it says, Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight. Show me your way. Don't ask, I don't know. <laughs> Show me your way that I may know you and that I might find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, 
your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And he said, please show me your glory. Then he said, I will make my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, here is a place beside me, and you shall stand on the rock, and so it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand when I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So, Moses, a little, little background here. Moses, they have been delivered from Egypt. They're out in Sinai. Most of you know the story. God has given the Ten Commandments. He has made his covenant with his people, the, the, the Sinaitic covenant, the old covenant of law and Now it's time to move on. God has commanded, he he commands Moses in the first verse of chapter 33, depart and go up from here, you and the people. Go up, go to the land flowing with milk and honey. It's time to go. And Moses, he's he's, he's going to obey. He's, He's been interacting with the Lord um, he, inter- he, he would go into the tabernacle, and just a little background again, uh, he would meet with the Lord, verse 7, he pitches his tent outside the camp, far from the camp, and he would go out and he would meet with the Lord and then he would come back to the camp. And the people would all watch as Moses would go out to the camp, they'd all stand at the door of their tent, and he would go into the tabernacle meeting and then, and then when he'd come back out and, and so forth, and the pillar of cloud would come down and descend on the tabernacle and Moses would speak to the Lord, and it says in verse 11, so the Lord spoke with Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend, and he would return to the camp. But his servant Joshua, he would stay in the tent. Love that. But God is calling Moses to move on. Moses, even though he has every assurance that all that has transpired up until now is the Lord's hand. There's still an unsettledness in his heart. There's still a... There's an apprehension. He has to know for sure that God's presence would be with him. He has to know for certain that the Lord will go with him. And, and, and look what he, he, what he says here. He said, you know, how would I know? You say that you know me by name. You say that I'm, I, I have found grace in your sight. But you have to be with me. I need you with me. I don't know I'm emotional. I, I have no idea. I'm sorry, you guys. <laughs> Moses here is... is Even on top of all that God has done, 
And what has God done? I mean, can you ask for more than what God has already done? I mean, there is every assurance that the Lord has worked. <laughs> I mean, you, we all know the stories. These stories have, have lasted and, and, and all the way to the present day. They went before the children of Israel. You know, when you read on, you, you know that all of the people in the land of Can Canaan are, are trembling. Are, they know, they heard. Word went ahead of them of what God did. And it's, it, it was obvious. And yet Moses, look, if you don't go with me, if I don't know that your presence is with me, don't even bother calling me. I'm not leaving. I'm not going unless you go with me. I need to know that you're with me. What's, what's, what's happening here? What's, uh, we, we see that the Lord is asking, or no, I'm sorry, we, we see that Moses is asking something very specific of the Lord. And it's his presence. He wants to know. He wants to be aware of. He wants to, he wants to dwell with and be in his presence. It's kind of, you, you think about it for a second, it's kind of, it, 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 it's a little puzzling, frankly, for me. And the reason, I mean, look up. <laughs> there's a pillar of, of a cloud. Okay, at night there's fire. <laughs> All right, God is with us. <laughs> But, but see, there, there's something, okay, something's missing yet. There's still something that Moses needs from the Lord. And you know what's wonderful? God gives it. He doesn't, he doesn't say, come on, Moses. I mean, what, what more do I have to do? I mean, if you don't know, I mean, come on. I just wrote with my finger on two tablets of stone, you know, just, just five minutes ago. You know? He, that's right here in the, you know, in the early, earlier verses. But, but, but God doesn't do that, does he? And even though there is this separation... Of, of, of even, even with speaking God face to face, there still remains a separation. And even though the separate, no man can see my face and live. Even though God makes a way to meet Moses where he's at. So what does he do? Verse 17, the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken. For you have found grace in my sight. And I know you by name. Skip down. Look at chapter 34. So, verse 5, Moses goes up the mountain, he meets with the Lord, tablets of stone, verse 5. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there. 
and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting iniquity on, on the father, of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. So Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. Then he said, if I have now found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. Moses says, God, show me. I want to see you. I've seen glimpses. I've seen your hand. I've seen your work. But I want to see you. I mean, it's a bold request. And so God, notice what he does. He doesn't, he, he covers, he puts him in the cleft of the rock, and he, and he covers him with his hand. Of course, a Hebrew, that rock is Jesus. I, I should have wrote that verse down. I didn't. I'll look it up maybe for a second, sir. <laughs> but uh, he covers them, and what, what does he do? He doesn't show him. He doesn't show him his actual appearance, as it were. God is spirit. God is light, inapproachable light. God is holy. What does he do? Instead of Seeing him like one would see someone else, he, it says here, the Lord descends. Oh, the Lord descended. He descends and he proclaims the name of the Lord. He says, you want to see me? If you want to know me, if you want to be with me or in my presence, It's my name. My name is who I am. And we sang, didn't we? Everything we sang was the name of the Lord. Your name shall not be overcome. Your name is alive, Jesus. But what is his name? The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord. Now, we don't get any of this in English. But you have all caps, Lord, there. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands. What is God doing? What is he specifically enumerating here? Of course, these are his attributes. These are the the attributes of God. It was A.W. Tozer 
He said the most important thing, I'm, I'm, reading, I'm reading some Tozer right now, and, and, uh, but here in, the, in, the, in this book, in the book I'm reading The Attributes of God and the Knowledge of the Holy, um, the, the A.W. Tozer, the, the most important thing about you is what comes into your mind when you think of God. Who you, that, that, that's his quote, but who, I'm gonna, who you believe God to be, who you believe God to be like, what you believe God to be like, that is the most important factor in your life. Accurate views of God lead to correct and accurate living. Accurate views to God, of God lead to authentic worship of God. Accurate views of God will take you to God-centered thinking and God-centered living and God-centered worship and God-centered everything. And conversely, inaccurate views of God lead to a lifestyle that treats God as if he does not exist or believes that there is no consequence to any means or way of living that one maybe isn't accountable to God in any way or something like that. But our knowledge of God is determinative. It determines everything. It becomes the paradigm through which we see everything in life. Our entire worldview is governed by how we understand who God is. It affects how we see everything. It affects all of how we, how we view every circumstance of our life. It affects the way we live out our lives as, 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 as a family or as a, a single person, how, we, how we, we, we orient our families, how we raise our children, how we approach our vocations. Our knowledge of God affects every single part of our lives for good or for bad. Our knowledge of God even affects how we view ourselves. How will we understand that we have been created in his image if we don't understand first who he is? So, God here, he proclaims his name. The Lord, Elohim, Adonai, the almighty God, he proclaims to Moses. Of course, Yahweh, right? I am that I am. Moses has already learned these attributes, and he's seen these attributes of God. Okay, well, I say attributes. Let me explain what an attribute. Perhaps you don't understand. Attributes. Attributes are, 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 are they're, they're qualities that belong to a person. They're characteristics or features that uniquely design or define, rather, of a person. An attribute is what you would attribute to somebody, right? 
In the case of God, his attributes refer to his character. They refer to his nature. They refer to his essence, to his being, to his, all of the qualities. The characteristics that make God, God. Those attributes of God that are, that are what are called incommunicable attributes. Okay, incommunicable in contrast to communicable. You have communicable attributes of God and incommunicable attributes of God. The incommunicable communicable attributes of God are, are, are like this one right here. What Moses is asking. He is asking for God's presence. And one of God's incommunicable attributes is his omnipresence. You have the three omnis, right? The omnipresence of God, the omniscience of God, the omnipotence of God. You have the eternality of God. That God is, uh, uh, he is, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I just, I just drew a blank. He, he, is, he is eternal and he is also immutable. That means he is unchanging. These are incommunicable attributes. God does not share these attributes at all. These attributes uniquely make God, God. And Moses wants to be assured that these attributes would be with him. Or we're not even going to bother. <laughs> and praise God. God, God. God descends. Now the communicable attributes... Of course, love. God is love, but God communicates in a very limited way some of that attribute to us, and we can love, right? Uh, uh, grace, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, we see right here, mercy and grace, in a, in a very, very small, minute way. We can be merciful. He has, he has communicated that aspect of his character to us who are created in his image. But here, his, 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 his omnipresence, we're, there are, there, some of the attributes of God we will never be able to fully comprehend. And even though God gives Moses every assurance that he will be with him, that his presence will go before him, to understand the omnipresence of God, it's impossible. We can't, we can't completely get a, a, a full understanding of his omnipresence because he's eternal and because he is infinite. But we can, we can certainly gain enough of an understanding of what his omnipresence is. Uh, enough for us, uh, by means of God who is gracious, will uh, reveal to us uh, substantially enough to satisfy all that we need. That's what he does here with Moses. His omnipresence, omni. Omni means all. 
He is omnipresence. Now, there are, there are three things that I want us to see about God's omnipresence. I don't know that we'll get all three of them. I'm going to say them, okay? <laughs> so at least that I, I mentioned them. The first one is that he is everywhere present, of course. The second one is that he rules. God being omnipresent means that God rules all. And the third one, if I can get down to it, is, uh, is what Moses is looking for here. And that is that God is near. His omnipresence, quickly, I'll just, I'll try and hit just a couple of things. God is everywhere present. What that means is that there is no place in the universe where he is not. And not only is he everywhere present in the universe, he is there in all of his fullness. He's not equally distributed and he's a little here and a little there, as it were. He is completely present in all of his fullness everywhere in the universe. Now, how do we cannot comprehend that? And not only that, he is with all of his attributes everywhere present in every point in, of the entire universe and beyond in all of his fullness. There is no place where we can go where God is not already there. He was there before we got there. He will be there after we are gone. He is there before us. He is behind us. He is around us. God's omnipresence means that God is absolutely permeating everything. Jeremiah 23, 24 says, Can anyone hide in the secret places so that I shall not see him, says the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth? Now, this verse does not imply, of course, that God is contained in heaven and earth as, earth, as if, you know, God is, is he's, he's, he's just filling the heavens and the earth, of course. Tozer, again, in his book, he likens, he likens this to how the ocean would fill a bucket. If you had a bucket in the ocean and it was like a mile down, the bucket is filled with the ocean, isn't it? But there is a whole lot more ocean going on outside of that bucket. God fills the heavens and the earth, yes, but he is eternal. He is far beyond and infinitely present. Solomon in 1 Kings, Behold, the heaven of the heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple that I have built. You see, Solomon sees. He understands. He builds the temple and he's praying. And, and, and this puny 30 by 30 building is nowhere near big enough to contain you. But God, of course, like Moses, meets us where we are. That's what it means to be omnipresent. Omnipresence means that God has no borders. Because a border would imply that there's a limit. There's a line. Omnipresence means that God has no size. Because a size 
implies that something can be measured. But God is immeasurable. He is everywhere. Okay, so point number one, God is everywhere present. Number two, God rules over all. Psalm 115 verse 3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. He isn't, like I said, he's one part omnipresent and one part omniscient and one part just and one part holy. No, no, no. He is in all of his fullness, in all of his attribute, filling everything. The heavens, that word heaven there, is uh, literally what that, mer- that word means. We think of the heavens, and we think of God's omnipresence, and, and our minds go to heaven, right? Well, yes, God is in heaven. And immediately we, we speak of God, well, his presence, yes, when we get to heaven, then we're going to be in his presence. I mean, that's kind of how our mind works, isn't it? Well, of course, that's going to be true. Of course, we'll see him more clearly, like Paul says in 1 Corinthians, you know, we shall see him as he is. I'm sorry. We shall see him then face to face. We shall see him as he is, as John in 1 John chapter 3. He says, we don't know what we will be like, but we will know that we will be like him because we'll see him as he is. I got those two confused. But the heavens... That word heaven means the heights. So we think of heaven. What's higher than heaven, as it were, right? God is in the heights of heavens, of the heavens, and that's where he dwells. And, and when, it's, when it's in the plural, it's the heights of the heights. It's the highest. And God, in his presence, dwells in the highest place. Therefore, he rules. No one is higher than God. Psalm 97, verse 7 says, For thou, O Lord, art most high above all the earth. Thou art exalted far above all gods. And you guys thought that was just a song, didn't you? (laughs) That's, That's the word of God. God is most high. He is above Isaiah, you might remember his, his vision in Isaiah chapter 6. He says, he, he says, the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And where did he see the Lord? High and lifted up. Seated on his throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. He catches a vision of God. And what does he see? Who does he see? He sees an exalted God sitting on his throne throne ruling actively ruling the apostle john had the exact same vision didn't he remember in revelation chapter four come up here right god says to him come up here and i will show you things that are to come and what is and 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 John is translated, as it were, up to, 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 to heaven. What's the first thing that he sees? 
who's there and who isn't there. Streets of gold. He doesn't see any of that. You know what he sees first, of course? A throne. I saw a throne. And one sitting on the throne. Because he rules. Everything in the universe finds its relationship to this throne. God's presence permeates absolutely everything, and unfortunately, very often, we lose sight of that. Now, the reason that we, we, we are not aware of it is because even though God permeates everything, there's a difference between his presence and what is called his manifest presence. Why, why if, if God is everywhere present, why are we not aware of it? Well, of course, Isaiah 59, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you. We don't see his face like Moses was requesting because, well, sin is what separates. We have moved It reminds me, uh, I, heard, I heard this story. And, um, an older couple driving down the road, and they see in front of them an, a younger couple in the car. And, and, and the girl, the guy's driving, and the girl's sitting right next to him. And she says, you know, we used to, we used to be like that. We used to ride around like that. How come we don't do that anymore? And the husband says, I haven't moved. <laughs> We've moved. Our sin. Of course, but this is the gospel. This is where God in the person of Jesus Christ steps in and remedies why we are distant. I'm lost, I, I, I'm directionless, directionless uh, unaware. I, I, I just really don't know what's going on with life. I really can't find any purpose or any meaning for living or anything like that. Well, there is, this is where God became a man. We were no longer aware of his presence, so he literally became one of us. The, world became, the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. He dwelt, he tabernacled. He came down to us because we had lost sight of him. And so the gospel, of course, is God reaching down and spanning the gap between what separated us from him, our sin, and, and, and his presence. Spanning the gap 
so that we could once again have fellowship with him. Those who put their faith in Christ for salvation immediately become aware of two things, don't they? Do you remember when you were first saved? I, I, was, I was kneeling in this chair and I, I was crying my eyes out, and I never had done that before. You may not believe that from a little earlier, but, but I, I had never done that. You know, I come from a Latin family, very macho, and men don't cry. And, oh, yeah. But I'm kneeling in this chair. I, I, get, I get up from this chair. I, I, you know, all I said was, I'm sorry. I just kept saying that over again. That's all I said. That was my sinner's prayers. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And, and, and I just cried and cried and cried and cried. And this, I, I got up in the chair, kind of cried out, sat there. And, and you know what? I, I immediately became aware of two things. That I was forgiven of my sin. And that the Lord was with me. Suddenly I was aware of his presence. And suddenly I saw him in everything. Why? Because the separation was removed. That wall was torn down. Ephesians 2.13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We've been brought near. So God manifests his presence when God reveals himself to those who receive him and allow God to change them into his likeness. So how does he do this? How does he change us? Of course, see, we're already at 932. Um, but uh, second, I'm just going to really quickly, 2 Corinthians 3.18, we all with unveiled face. Referring back to Moses. This is Moses. Moses had a veil, Right? 2 Corinthians 3.18, Moses had a veil. He would put on the veil, and then he'd go into the tent, he'd lift up the veil, right? And then he'd speak to God face to face, then he'd put the veil back on, go back out before the people. We know why, because he was glowing, and everybody was freaking out. It's like, Moses, what? Well, right? The veil. So Moses would lift up the veil, and we all with unveiled face. is what Paul is referring to here. 2 Corinthians 3. We, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So being in the presence of God, just as Moses began to glow, has a transformative work. Just being in his presence. Just abiding with Jesus. We become like Jesus. We are changed as we are in and aware of his presence, but God also man manifests his presence another way. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a, the rest of our time here to, 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 to highlight that. We were going to go to 1 Kings chapter 20, but there, we, we don't have time. I'll, I'll quickly relay the story. Ahab is um, about to go to war with Syria. And Syria has 32 kings and Ahab has 7,200 guys. <laughs> and God proclaims 
I'm, I'm going to deliver these people into your hand, even though he's wicked. I'm going to deliver these, these people into your hands. Why? Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Why does God do? God put Ahab in a very difficult circumstance. Why? So that he could reveal himself to him. God, we like, I would, Lord, can we just do the veil thing? Let's just, I would much rather just get all of Jesus just by being in your presence, right? Let's not do the hardship part. <laughs> he has to. One of the reasons is if we got too comfortable here, we would have no desire for heaven. But the less we desire here and the more we desire heaven, the more we are ready to be there. So, here comes Syria, they attack them, God creates confusion, they're defeated. Prophet comes back and says, you better get ready. They're going to come back in the spring. They're going to attack you again. And the Syrians, it's interesting, their response. They say, well, we lost. We lost that battle with, against 7,000 guys, even though we're an innumerable month. The reason we lost is because their God is the God of the hills. So this time, we're going to attack them in the valley and we'll be victorious, right? And what does God say? The Syrians are saying that I'm only the God of the hills, but I'm the God of the valleys also. And so that they know, and so that you know, that I am ever present, and therefore I reign, I'm going to give you the victory again. Now this is Ahab. Jezebel, you guys know all this? And yet God, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, full of compassion, forgiving. This is God. This is the God of the Old Testament, by the way. Same God, same exact God. He's the one that has wrought all these things. He's the one. I was, I was, <clears throat> I was reading an account. Uh, uh, a guy uh, that I know of. I don't know, but he's, he does prison ministry. And he asked. He was with. Uh, he was teaching uh, in a, in a prison, and he asked all the the inmates, uh, "Who killed Jesus?" Well, Pilate, uh, the Romans, uh, the Jews. And he said, no, the Father did. The Father did. God was in Christ, reconciling the world. God sent his Son. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. We see these. This is the God of the Old Testament, the same God. Merciful, ever-present, showing the 
Syrians, and rebellious Israel, who he is, who he is proclaiming his name. So, <clears throat> God manifests his presence to us. And when things are difficult, he's manifesting his presence in us. And as he carries us through difficulty, he's manifesting his presence through us. God, why'd you put me in this impossible situation? Where are you, God? Right? Where are you? <clears throat> well, he's right here. Because he is omnipresent. God, my, my spouse. God, God, my child. God, God, my, my, my finances. Lord, my, my illness. Lord, my job. Lord, my, 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 my co-workers. Lord, what? We cry out correctly. But there are times, of course, that we fail to see that like Israel and the Syrians, sometimes God desires to touch someone else through our challenges, through our heartbreaks and through our difficulties. Sometimes the Lord is doing something that's beyond us. Here's a... Uh, Here's a little news flash, and I don't mean to be, I'm, I'm not being flippant, but God doesn't exist for us. We exist for him. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, in everything you do, do it all for the glory of God. Everything that happens in our life is for his glory. And when we figure out that we exist for his glory, life is righted. Everything just locks in. When our lives are Jesus-centered and all that we do is for his fame and for his kingdom, when we trust that he has a bigger plan and that the unredeemed are observing uh, our continual faith in the midst of challenge and in spite of hardship, then we understand that God is omnipresent. Then we understand that God rules. He is everywhere in every circumstance. If we look, we will see his hand. We can trust his timing. Or of course, we can continue in our ignorance and in our obliviousness. But Moses, back to Moses, God, go with us. And he, and he does. And he is. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is eminent. He's not just transcendent. God is near. And I know that we're out of time. But let me read one last verse, okay? Thus says the high and lofty one, Isaiah 57, 15. Thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, 
whose name is holy. I dwell in a high and a holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. God lives, as it were, in two places, high and lifted up and with the humble. He is always with us. We are never alone. We are never forsaken. He is the God of the hill, and he is the God of the valley. He is always there to help, to comfort, and to encourage. We can trust him. But conversely, that also means that we can't ever escape him either. We can't be a Jonah and try and run from his presence. We can't run from his will. We can't run to another church or another family or another spouse or another job. We, we can't run thinking as if we can escape the Lord. I mean, that's, that's just foolish. We aren't to run from our trouble. We are to bring our trouble, as it were, and lay them at the Lord's feet. Because it is his plan and it is his faithfulness and it is his throne. He rules. C.S. Lewis said that God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself. It is not there. There is no such thing. We rest in the hands of the omnipresent, everlasting God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence with us. We thank you for the assurance that your presence brings to our lives. We thank you, Lord, that even when we don't see you, we know that you are there. Lord, you are ever faithful. You are almighty. You are all-powerful, Lord, and you have a plan. And you are working your plan exactly according to your purpose. And so, Lord, we rest in that. We rest in that and we rest in you. And like Moses, Lord, go before us. Make your presence known to us, Lord, and proclaim your name to each one of us. We praise you for the cross. We praise you for the work of redemption. We are thankful for the assurance that we have of what your word gives us. We pray all of these things in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer.